Welcome back, everyone. Happy Friday to yet another edition of the Hitchcock Minute, where we are looking at the fantastic thriller by Alfred Hitchcock, North by Northwest, a bunch of us Movies by Minutes folks breaking this movie down one minute of the film at a time. I'm your host. I'm Alan Sanders. I'm your co-host, Walt Murray. And we are both part of a podcast that also likes to break down movies by minutes called The Wilder Ride. And I have a feeling uh, this episode is going to get a little wild. Well, we get to get introduced to the main bad guy. <laughs> and I love doing voices. We do. And, and I think we've kind of uh, hit on some things that we might have done a little bit different than the way the movie went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We would have had a much shorter version of this film. <laughs> I think the movie would have been over in just about minute 10. <laughs> yeah. One way or another. And roll credits. <laughs> this one takes a big Lebowski turn. Yeah. I think. yeah our version. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see what happens? Yeah, Do you wait. see what happens? <laughs> Which oddly, there are some parallels between the big Lebowski in this movie. Well, the Big Lebowski is also one of those uh, dime store kind of uh, noir thrillers or detective Absolutely. stories. Unfortunately, it's just an anti-noir noir <laughs> story because the main guy has no idea that he's solving anything. No. <laughs> he just wants his rug back, he man. He just solves everything by accident. It just sort of happens. <laughs> Just stumbles drunkenly <laughs> or stoned through the through life. Yeah, the the costuming is a little different. <laughs> Just a hair vehicle's a little different. All right, well, let's go ahead and set the stage for what is going to be our last minute with you folks out there. It's been fantastic having you all out there, and another big shout out to Jim O'Kane, the ringmaster behind all of us trying to keep this circus moving forward. This is the third iteration of a collaborative effort where Movies by Minutes podcasters break down a movie that has nothing to do with their own franchises or their own work. We just love doing this so much, and I've been really uh, thrilled, Walt, that we got to be part of this one this season. And not only just part of it, we got to open it. Well, and every time we get asked back to do anything, I'm kind of amazed. I'm I'm shocked. I'm like, have they not figured it out yet? <laughs> Shh, don't tell them. Yep, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we have fun on our show, and... I always try to be careful when we're doing other people's show is just how much I cut loose. But in this minute, I think I'm going to let it go. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's go ahead and set the stage for what's coming today. If you remember yesterday, we had our hero, Roger Thornhill, being locked in the library of a palatial mansion. And this minute will continue with him sort of exploring, doing it a lot more slowly and with uh, a little bit Less uh, effort on trying to actually maybe, I don't know, self-preservation doesn't seem to be foremost in his mind. Mm-mm. But he's, he's, he's exploring, and it's going to end with the man saying, not what I expected, a little taller. So we'll get into that as we break this minute down. All right, well, let's, uh, let's watch as uh, Thornhill makes his way back into this library. The very first thing I notice is when the camera continues its pan into the room. I mentioned the fireplace yesterday. What do most good fireplaces have right next to them? Yeah, a whole set of fire pokers and other uh, objects that can be used as weapons. How many times have we seen in horror movies someone reaches for the for the for the fire poker to use as a weapon? Nearly every one of them. Did you notice what's right next to that? Um, the fire blower thing. I don't know what those are, but they look like three different kind of bats almost. Oh like, yeah, right. Yeah, like cricket bats. Or like something? cricket bats or something. Yeah. They just look like or clubs of some kind. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what those are, but that looks like you could be a good hand weapon. I was going to say something that would do damage to the skull of a kidnapper. You know, if you look in your D and D tables, this falls under a, a melee weapon, a handheld melee weapon. So, you know, your bats, your axes, your bludgeoning instruments. 
Uh, you've got your pokers over there. You've got another candelabra. So you've got two different candelabras. As you make your way across, there's a, there's a, a circular uh, table that looks like it's right next to a desk. It's got a lamp on it. So you've got additional implements of destruction on top of it. And then, well, you pointed this out when we were watching the minute. You've been kidnapped, held against your will. You even jokingly said, could we stop at the drugstore so I can maybe leave a message? What do we have right on the desk? There's a phone. There's a telephone <laughs> on the desk. Once it, again. He doesn't even pick it up. No, it never even occurs to him. Look for the dial tone, at least. This guy is the worst kidnapping victim ever. He doesn't know how to be a kidnap victim. The other people don't know how to be kidnappers. That whole, you know, for dummies, we have an entire series that they need to to, to read. Uh, yeah, I this really breaks down here. Um, because I, I, I would think if you've just been kidnapped, you're left alone in a room like this. Like, you're at least going for the phone, but, you, you, you know, go grab a, a weapon or something that you can use against these people. And if you're not going to, if it doesn't make sense in the script to have access to the telephone, then why in the hell, like, like if we don't want to have this question being asked, why even put it in the scene? It could have very well just been a library with just a desk. We didn't need a phone. Someone, some set dresser, drew up this room, decorated it the way the director wanted, and put a phone in the scene. And then even if somebody inside the house answers it, you know, it's kind of got one of those lines, I'd be like, hey, you better come get me because I'm about to destroy your office. <laughs> I like the way you think. You keep thinking about, I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place. <laughs> yeah, this office will never be the same. I'm about to remodel the hell out of this. You uh, you actually you actually said, I'm going to start ripping up some of these paintings. I'm going to start taking a whiz right on the right on the right on the cushions. Yeah. When he walks in, he's going to catch the upper decker of upper deckers on that desk. <laughs> it's going to be. I just, could you oh, imagine? Was I not supposed to take a dump here? Come on. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine the, the actor James Mason? Gonna, it appears someone has fouled my desk. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I'm the, uh, I don't know who you are, but this is about to get ugly. <laughs> He's like, I'd be like burning the paintings in the fireplace, say, I hope those weren't valuable. Yeah, I mean, even on my best days. Those weren't kid. keepsakes, were yeah. they? No heirlooms, right? Did, did you want to keep that? I'm about to go through that first volume of books All after this. All these books. Yeah, they're about to get, <laughs> this is about to get bad for you. Uh, he does uh, instead, now this is the difference between Thornhill and us, like I said, we would have a weapon in hand. This guy walks in the room. We're hitting him over the head. You know, movie's over. Roger's a gentleman. No, he decides, you know what? I'm going to try to figure out who this person Townsend is. And so he sees uh, some, it looks like mail in a scroll of some kind. And we get the, the, the full name, Mr. Lester Townsend, 169 Baywood, Glen Cove, New York. And then some uh, routing numbers of some kind. I don't think that's a zip code or if it is, it's an old zip yeah. code of the day. But- uh, it's so he so now he knows. Oh, I've got his full name. I'm prepared to do battle. Oh, okay, yeah, because <laughs> you didn't know it was Townsend when you went into the estate. Okay, whatever. All I know is that if this were me, I would not know that it was Lester Townsend, but I would know that Lester Townsend's about to uh, have a big remodeling bill. <laughs> He's a uh, again. I hope I hope you got hope you're insured. Yeah. <laughs> now the other thing I mentioned is, and we're going to get a chance for him to see the POV. Is it felt like there were windows? Like I said it yeah. felt like large windows. The way the lighting was in this room. Yep. I think that's confirmed now. You've got sort of one of those alcoves where it's got side windows and then a main back window. Yep. All of the windows are the typical ones that you see where they're half windows with the little latch right. that you raise the window to escape or let air in. 
Oh, yeah. Did I say the word escape? Yes. Right. I could undo the latch and open the damn window. Yeah, or at minimum, every one of those windows would already be broken out. <laughs> well, now I can understand at the moment, maybe he doesn't because there's someone in a black suit, a new a new thug we have yet to be introduced to. That's right. Who's apparently playing, he's playing with himself. Well, he's playing croquet. <laughs> right, exactly. But there's nobody else out there. Do you play croquet by yourself? I don't think so. Isn't it a team sport? Like a, it's, it's at least a competitive sport where there's an, I mean, an opponent. Don't you try to block other people's balls yes. and try to get them through the loops and try to knock them out of the way and stuff like that? Yeah. But, you know. He's out there playing with himself. Well, I guess this nerd just had a uh, croquet practice. And we can see that now we know where Licht went or Licht went to uh, around the side of the house. He went to go out back to tell apparently the guy who is in a perpetual croquet match. By the way, we're back because you see him talk for a second. They say, oh, come on this way. And he drops his croquet mallet and takes back off. Now, at that very moment, I'm like, all right, coast is clear. There's nobody else out there. Right. I'm opening the window, or like you said, I'm, I'm putting a boot through it. Uh, I've got a lamp. I've got statues. I've got the poker. I can shatter a window pretty fast. Yeah, that I, I'm I'm out. Cary Grant, way, way too nice to do that. Yeah, I mean, he is the gentleman kidnap victim. He's like, I'm going to play along with this one. But you know what's interesting? Um, we, we've made the parallel several times to Bond. This mm-hmm. is the same way James Bond would have handled it. Bond would have been investigating who it was he was up against. Okay. All right. So your comment about James Bond, the difference between this and James Bond is James Bond is a spy. Right. James Bond is there for information. And so if he's been abducted, he's assuming it must have something to do with his investigation. So he's looking for information. You and I, we're not spies. Someone pulling me into this house. I'm again, I'm looking for a weapon. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to cause some chaos or at least put the, put the odds in, in my favor. Right. And uh, well, and I'll even say if I got kidnapped and I knew it was about one of my cases and they left me alone in a room, that room's going to be on fire and crapped all over. But if they they come back in here and they're going to have a fight on their hands to get me when, you know, when when they come in, I don't care why I've been kidnapped. It's now me or you. Right. And at some point, the the fight or flight kicks in. Yeah. And the next door neighbors are soon going to say, hey, look at all that smoke coming from the Townsend house. Right. <laughs> right. It's on right. at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and that might go noticed. You yes. know, if you, you've got a mansion on fire, there's a lot of people that may be like paying attention to that. That's right. And and I'm taking as much of your artwork and as many of your people with me as I can. I, I'm So it, it, it's, a, it's a whole different ballgame. And I would think that, you know, I, I, I guess maybe that he's trying to think his way and smart his way out of this mm-hmm. uh, because he's used to doing that. He's used to using his, his wits to get out of bad situations. And he's probably never in his life been in a life or death type of situation. No, before. I don't think so. In fact, he, there's a line very t- close to the end of the movie where he said, uh, you know, he's asked about why do you have two uh, ex-wives? And they thought I led a dull life. Yeah. Well, not after this. Um, while he's looking out the window, he hears somebody at the door and he looks back. So he's standing behind the desk and now enters James Mason. Yeah. James Mason, the great James Mason. Good evening. It's James Mason. He has one of the most distinctive voices. It's great. I love James Mason's voice. You know what? And I can't help it because when I was playing around doing James Mason, 
I swear to God, it's got to be the basis for Mr. Burns on The Simpsons. It has to be. Because he walks in and he's like, oh, not what I expected, a little taller. And probably I'm this for him to character, go, too. So, if the party's over, we need to release the hounds. <laughs> release the hounds. It's James Mason playing in the live-action Simpsons. James Mason as Mr. Burns. <laughs> he would have been the perfect, perfect Burns. Perhaps we'll meet again at the auction, where you're going to embarrass the woman of my dreams, and I'm going to call you out for it. <laughs> I'm James Mason. Every every line he introduces himself as, and you may know me as James Mason. I'm playing Mr. Burns, but I am James Mason. Just so you know. Just so you're aware. Well, I uh, think it's it's funny that his um his bio on IMDb starts off with he's an English actor. It's, really? Well, that's a news flash for me. That's a shock. <laughs> I had no idea. No, I knew. <laughs> You know, it's funny just scrolling through his IMDb. Aren't all I mean, the best villains from England? Oh, they all are. Including the Empire? Yes. They're absolutely. all from England. <laughs> absolutely. But he was in everything. Like, th- this guy... When I mean, you say that all the time, I love your use of the words. <laughs> he was in everything! But, but this guy was. I mean, did 290 But I just titles. saw Jingle All the Way, and there was no James Mason. Well, he was dead. Okay, yeah, okay, fine. But then he's not in everything, is he? Well, he was in Salem's Lot. He was. He in, was in the original Salem's Lot. He was in. Well, I take it back. He was in the Salem's Lot TV show. Okay, from seventy nine to nineteen seventy nine. Okay, it one, didn't last long. One season. Hey, but we he, have a hit movie. Let's make a series out of it. But he was in the Boys from Brazil. He was in Heaven Can Wait. Um, the Water Babies. Well, let's face. I think my famous. The, and I know he's been in a lot of kind of movies, but for me, the one he always stands out is Captain Nemo of the Nautilus. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're but, underneath the water. We're going to explore for all of mankind. All right, James. But I'm I, James I Mason. I bet that like, everybody putting together a movie while he was working was probably like, hey, can we get James Mason? There was something, even when he walks into this scene, just the shot of him through the door, you realize you are dealing with, I mean, this is like the Alan Rickman character in Die Hard. This Absolutely. is not your typical villain. He's well-dressed, well-spoken. No, he's, he's tailored, and, and he actually makes a comment that we'll see. That he's not expecting somebody to be so well-dressed uh, opposite him. He's not used to dealing with somebody who would at least have a tailored outfit himself. That's now, right. That's coming in the next minute, which would be somebody else's to talk about, not ours. But this is a perfect, once again, Bond villain. Yes, it is. And th- this word's overused, but he he has gravitas. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an, an instant recognition when he's on the screen um, that— he kind of grabs you yeah. and, and gets your attention. It, but he's just such a good actor. Even his movements, he's, there's something that is you're just yeah. drawn to watch his performance because there's not a lot of dialogue we get with him here in this minute 10. You know, he, he, he bids uh, his guest good evening. And then as he starts to enter the room, you have this nice little moment of where Roger Thornhill's not exactly sure what's going to happen. Right. So as James Mason, who doesn't seem like he's in any way like threatening, as he's walking around one side of the desk, you've got Cary Grant countering the other side of the desk, That's keeping right. the desk between them. That may be the first smart thing he's done since we've seen him in this room. Absolutely. And they're definitely sizing each other up. Yes, you get that sense of it, including James Mason here, uh, which we found out we find out his name. We don't. I know it because of the script, but right. he doesn't say it here, but his name is Van Damme. I'm sorry, every single time I heard Van Damme, I kept thinking, Jean-Claude? Right. <laughs> Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude has ruined the Van Damme name. Yes. Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, I, I kept thinking this whole time, though, that when they were doing that, I love I love James Mason's idea. And I don't know if it was a Hitchcock thing. Or if this Was this a moment where 
James Mason decides, you know what? Let's go ahead and close the drapes to close off this room. Any sense of the outside world, we need to close off and then slowly turns one lamp on. And then we'll later in the next minute turn another lamp on as if to say, I will control what you see, how you see it. I want you to know I'm in charge. Right. And he does it in such a non-threatening way. And yet, I mean, Thornhill's sitting there kind of that that wary, what's going on now? What's happening now? Right. Right. And it is funny that he comes and closes the blinds because there's no way that there's a neighbor who could peer in or, you know, the guy delivering the mail would see it. I mean, it looks out onto the backyard, which has no access to anybody unless they purposely allow them to have it. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. When we see Thornhill at the uh, windows, it's got sort of those sheer blinds, Mm -hmm. sort of like the see-through, almost like semi yeah. Semi-transparent. When James Mason goes over to the side, maybe I just missed it in a shot. I guess that's where the heavy drapes are because he pulls yeah, a cord. They're on the they're to the side, and it closes. I guess this is one of those things that closes both sides evenly. Yeah, with so it just so. kind of brings them together like a theater curtain. Yep. Oh, very theatrical. Yes, very theatrical. But it it definitely sends the message that he is in charge mm-hmm. and he he is controlling the environment, like you said. And then he starts turning lamps on, which, again, if it was me, those would have already been shattered. (laughs) Where'd where'd my lamps go? (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Mason. Broken to pieces, sir. (laughs) What's all this mess on the floor? (laughs) And who took a dump on my desk? (laughs) (laughs) He did a lot of damage in a short time. You know, for someone as tailored as you are, you're a bit of an animal. We need to get you domesticated. Yeah, that would have been the other thing with me is uh, they would not have mistaken me for Kaplan. All right, so let's go look at the lines specifically, because when he does walk in, he says, Good evening. And then he adds the line after he closes the curtains, plunging the room into darkness, turns on the lamp. Not what I expected, a little taller, a little more polished than the others. Yeah, so we get kind of the first hint that maybe they didn't get the right guy. Well, is it, or... Did, was it? Were they expecting somebody that was a little more s- smarmy or squirrely or not quite so sophisticated? Because he does kind of stand out. If you're trying to be a, someone who blends into a oh, crowd, he definitely stands he, out. He's yeah. well dressed. People would look at him and go, "Wow, that's an important person." Well, and he's a he, he's a good looking guy. He is well dressed and well tailored. Carries himself very well. Mm-hmm. So he would definitely stand out in a crowd. So it's a great opening dynamic, and I love I. And again, James Bond sets the benchmark for a lot of this. There's not every James Bond movie follows it, but I love when our hero meets the villain early in the movie. Mm-hmm. And now you're constantly trying to figure out who's going to top the other, who's That's going right. to come out on top at the end of this adventure. And and definitely that sizing up moment is always great in mm-hmm. those Bond movies. I know the the later or the yeah, the later James Bonds that's always much later in the movie, but if you look at some of the early ones, you always got introduced to the bad guy. Even if James didn't meet him right off the bat, there was always, we knew who the bad guy That's was right. very quickly. There wasn't a wait till 30, 30 minutes in or 45 minutes in to reveal the bad guy. Um, and I like this. I love that it's not a mystery. We know who the bad right. guy is. We're establishing terms and he's not your typical rough, thuggish, you know, mafioso. He is a very cultured, educated man. Yeah. But it is almost like at the beginning of a boxing match where- Here's who's going to be fighting today. Mm-hmm. And they throw him in the ring, and now we're now we're rolling. And Roger's in the ring totally against his will. It's almost like they grabbed somebody off the street and threw him in the ring, but he knows who his opponent is now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I'm interested to see where the conversation goes from here because there's a lot of conversation back and forth between these two to help establish more of the story. All right. So, and I, I will give a a shout out to some of the other uh, movies by minutes folks here in just a minute. But as we start to, to wind this down, we know that Roger Thornhill didn't do what either you and I would have done. He did not make a phone call, which he should have done. He didn't find a, a weapon to use. He didn't pick up the poker. He didn't do anything to protect himself. But at least he's having a civilized conversation with this guy. So maybe now he thinks maybe it is the right way to go. Maybe it was maybe it's better off to uh, have a gentleman's conversation. Maybe he thinks that's the the way that's going to allow him to work his way out of this. Maybe. And that is his strength. That is definitely his strength. I mean, that's got to be part of just that everyday ordinary response. You still can't put your mind around being in such extraordinary circumstances that you would probably default to what you know. And you know, okay, I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm not going to get anybody mad at me. I'm not going to do anything to get them even angrier. I'm going to, it's obviously that they've got the wrong guy. I'm going to just be able to explain this. We'll be able to laugh at about, oh, so I get it. You know what? We're going to let the whole kidnapping thing go. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Help you get the real guy. Just let me know. Yeah, look, I pre- I, I, I'm flattered you thought I was him, but, you know, that's, I'm a nobody. And um, it's it's an interesting premise that we have set up for ourselves with, with Hitchcock that he's not acting like we would in our, and you and I, in our contemporary right. age of having watched lots of spy movies, action movies. We hear about people with home invasion and robberies, and we think to protect ourselves. Roger Thornhill is not in any kind of a self-protected mode. He tried to escape only once, and we still can't figure out why the door didn't open for him. Right. But beyond that, he hasn't really... He's been threatened with a gun, I get that. But he, uh, he's he been kind of treated okay. Yeah, they've treated him respectfully, and they've had the expectation that he's going to you know, be a gentleman about mm-hmm. this. And um, it, it's kind of interesting because... He is he he operates in a world of gentlemen. When he's doing his business, he's doing his business with other gentlemen. Right. So he would expect to be treated that way. He has been treated that way. So when I you know when we talk about that, we'd go in and look for weapons and destroy the place. Um, we don't operate in that 1950s New York upper crust society. So right. We would approach it in a completely different way. This also reminds me a little bit of that era of what we see in in old battles on the on the fields, and you could send mm-hmm. you could send an emissary from the king through the enemy battle lines to go talk to the to the court of the other king or whatever, and they would be allowed safe passage. It would be right. considered ill-mannered. As your men are about to butcher each other on the field the next morning, it would be ill-mannered to to harm an emissary that's been sent to, to negotiate or discuss. Right. You know, and it's almost like that sense of, no, there's certain unwritten rules. You know, if you don't do anything, I'm not going to do anything, but we're still going to try to figure out what's going on. Right. If your guy comes out under a white flag, we're not going to shoot him. Right. Right. This is, uh, it's, this is civilized warfare. That's right. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see how how this plays out into next week now, because much like the minutes that that we have in our older Gene Wilder movies that aren't sort of chopped like the modern movies are, where they're very small pieces. Right. These scenes play out over minutes and minutes and minutes, and so you can't help it. You have dialogue cut in the middle of a minute, uh, like we're doing here. So all we know is. This particular character d- does not think that Thornhill was exactly what he expected to see. That's right. All right. What do you got? Anything we forgot to talk about? Anything we missed? Anything more in this minute? No, I do know that I'm going to have to go rewatch this movie now um, because now I'm in it. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, 
And I'm looking forward to hearing uh, who comes after us and to see what their take on this is. Well, let me give a plug right now for all of the different Movies by Minutes podcasters and their teams of people that are going to be collaborating from this point forward. Up next, you've got our good friend Robert E.G. Black with Mandy Sucks, the Mandy Sucks Minute. He's going to be doing, uh, he'll be up next. It'll be followed by the Real Jaws Minute. Then the guys from Minute Impossible, a very fun uh, podcast. Those guys are really good. Right. You got five minutes of Bonsai. Then the guys from the Indiana Jones Minute, who have been on our different seasons yeah, so far. Guys. And uh, I will be coming up. Actually, um, I'll be on. I know you had some things that you weren't able to join us, yes. but mm-hmm. uh, probably three weeks from when you're hearing this episode, the last week of January, I have got some of the minutes of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, oh great, uh, it's going to be some fun minutes. Yeah. I actually get to talk about some minutes that feel very Raiders of the Lost Arkish. Considering there's very few of those in the movie. Yeah. But those guys, the Indiana Jones Minute will be coming up. We'll have the guys with the Star Wars Minute, Edge of Tomorrow Minute, the Rocketeer Minute, which is a creation of Jim O'Kane. And yeah. by the way, if you're not, if you haven't gone back and listened to the Rocketeer Minute, he had a chance to not only have the lead actor weigh in on a lot of the episodes as sort of like a third co-host, he actually had recently the director join to talk about what it was like to put on that film. One of the first comic book kind of movies that was successful before the whole Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. And really amazing that he could get that kind of uh, that kind of support from the makers of the movie. Yep. On the flip side, on the DC side, you've got the Watchmen Minute coming up after Rocketeer Minute, then the Groundhog Day Minute, Mash Minute, and that's the movie Mash, not the series, the Jay and Silent Bob Minute, Better Off Dead Minute, and then the last part of the movie will be broken down by Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean. So all of those folks have individual podcasts. If you enjoy what you're hearing here on the Hitchcock Minute, do them a favor. Go out there, follow them, like them, maybe subscribe to their podcast, help bump up their numbers. It's always fun to see more folks turned on to the different shows that we all do. Yeah, and if you like the Hitchcock Minute, uh, as you've heard it so far, it would be great if you would take a minute to go out to whatever listening device you use, whether that be the Apple Podcast uh, app or whatever. Uh, go out and take a minute to rate and review this show so that other people can find it. And uh, be sure and share some episodes with your friends on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I was going to say, that's that's more important now. It used to be that the rate and review counted for more. They've apparently backed that now to almost insignificance. Yes. It's more about share the episode, share the link, put it in your own feed. If you liked what you heard, say, hey, I just got done listening to this episode. Just put a link in your, uh, if people click on it, that's great. If they don't, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to do. Yeah, it's very easy. And um, it really does mean a lot to us. We put in a lot of time and effort and. And hard work, and for all of us, this is a labor of love. This is not what we do. For oh yeah, a no, we're not, we're, no. There's no palatial library that we're sitting in no, recording. <laughs> no, there is not. So. In fact, uh, I think there's a time lock that only allows us out for so much daylight. <laughs> that is true. We, we were hoping to have someone commute our sentences, but until then, we yeah, don't get much free time. We just uh, sit in this drippy uh, dungeon and uh, <laughs> and and make podcasts. So. Yeah, so just you know, take a minute, let uh, people know how much you like the show, and uh, turn some of your friends onto it. Uh, because we do, we have a lot of fun doing it, and if you're enjoying it, we'd love to uh, have some of your friends along for the ride. Absolutely. All right, Walt. One last time, we are with the Wilder Ride. If if folks want to learn a little bit more about us, our previous guests, many of which you're going to hear as podcasters in this Hitchcock Minute, were with us as guests on our various seasons. Where can people go? The best place to go, again, is our is our uh, website, thewilderride.com, and check out our past episodes, our bios, 
uh, some of our Patreon stuff. And uh, we also have a guest list, by the way. So if there is somebody like Jim O'Kane and you're like, well, hey, I, you know, I liked what I've heard from these guys, but I'd love to hear what Jim had to say on their podcast. You can go find Jim O'Kane's name on our list of, of past guests, and it'll tell you which episodes to go and link to to uh, listen to what Jim had to say. And by the way, if you are like Jim into trains and history and all that, he had some great input on our uh, on our last um, our last episodes on um, our breakdown of the great movie Blazing Saddles. So Jim talked a lot about how hand cars work, how the railroad worked, what the influence of the railroad on the United States was. So definitely take some time and go check that out because it was. He really was our fun. first actual guest. That's right. After because we just we always take the first few minutes to do the credits just in house because those are kind of boring. Why waste someone's time? But then as soon as the action got underway, we brought Jim O'Kane in to chat about the railroad. Yeah, it's absolutely great. So uh, take some take some time to listen to those episodes. And uh, I I just love Jim's work. And you know he he also did the Apollo thirteen minute. He's still in the midst of that. He's yeah. been he's had some great actual astronauts, uh, mission control people, some very very important people in the space program join him to talk about the Ron Howard flick Apollo thirteen. Yeah. So. It, in some ways, it's even more amazing work than the actual movie was because there has been some incredible, incredible guests on that show. Yeah. Jim O'Kane's a great guy, obviously, where we think highly of him. And just, again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jim, for selecting us to be part of this. Yeah, definitely. And please listen to all of the other podcasters, give them their due, everyone donating time out of their own lives and their other podcasts to be part of this Hitchcock Minute, which you can hear, again, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, other podcatchers of choice. You can go to the Hitchcock Minute to get all caught up on everything you need to know. You can even listen to episodes from the website. On social media, like us on Facebook. The Man on Washington's Nose is the name of the Facebook page dedicated to this project. Or if you're a Twitter user, at Hitchcock Minute. You can do both and, and engage both ways. And, you know, Walt and I will be out there as well in social media worlds. And so if somebody wants to talk about what we missed, some of the things we may have gotten wrong, some of the other theories you may have of these first 10 minutes, hey, drop us a line. We'd love to discuss. Absolutely. All right. Come back Monday for the Mandy Sucks Minute taking over our good buddy Robert E.G. Black, Professor He's a professor, folks. He's an actual he college professor. Uh, professor Robert E.G. Black will be taking you for the next 10 minutes, and it's going to start off with the continued conversation between James Mason and Roger Thornhill, and we'll have to see exactly what happens next when Roger Thornhill tries to convince James Mason, you've got the wrong man. All that on this, the Hitchcock Minute. You sure we can't stay for a few more minutes? No, in five minutes I release the hounds. Oh, well then let's get out of here. Yeah, these miscreants, I invite them into my home, give them my food, it's time for them to get the hell off my property. Well, we did leave the upper decker, so I can't blame you. <laughs> Do you ever know what, a, you know what a true upper decker is? Oh, yes. People can't figure out what's going on with her. Why is every time I flush it looks weird? Why? Maybe our may not have left one. Oh, it's, that's gross. Bye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are. Uh, last thing we said, uh, can't remember now. Something about James Mason. James Mason. Ah. Uh. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he operates in a world of gentlemen. So, up with the horn already. Good evening, this is actor James Mason telling TSX to fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> what the hell is that?
new favorite things Olympic divers on a toilet. What's wrong with you? Oh, I can I, no longer focus on wrapping this episode I didn't up. Post that. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. <laughs> 